Father, what you have done for us and who you are for us in Jesus, remind us this morning that it is enough. He is enough. He's enough for Onus and Farida right now. He's enough for your people right now. He's enough for me in preaching your word right now. Show us that great truth by giving us fresh eyes this morning into the height and depth and length and breadth of the grace and love of Jesus as demonstrated to the most hated man in the town of Jericho and demonstrated to each of us in him. So open our eyes so that we might see, open our hearts that we may love the Jesus who comes to us. In his name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Thank you, team. Luke chapter 19 in your copies of God's Word this morning, please. Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find a Bible near you in the hymnal rack of the pew in front of you. Or if you're sitting in the front row of a section, you'll find that Bible underneath you. And in the church Bible, it's page 1043. It's important that you see the text the Word of God for yourself. And as you're finding your place there, let me just ask a question because we are taking just a bit of a detour from our study through Mark's Gospel. And yet at the same time, this morning, what we will see, this scene in Luke 19 verses 1 through 10, actually follows the scene we talked about last week with blind Bartimaeus. The next event on the calendar for Jesus will be Palm Sunday, and we'll cover that on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. That's how close we are in this text to the cross, to Jesus climbing up a tree and becoming a curse for us to make us His people by His grace. How many of you would say this morning that you have a tree that is significant to you. There has been a tree somewhere in your life that has been significant to you. You either climbed that tree as a kid or something happened near that tree or perhaps you've planted a tree in memory of someone. How many of you would say that's true of you this morning? Awesome. Because that's this story in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, where Jesus meets a small little man with a great big God in a tree. Let's read it, beginning in verse 1 of Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. And so he ran on ahead, he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, 
Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus hurried, and he came down, and he received Jesus joyfully. And when the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of our God. This is our Lord and Savior, King Jesus. This is his grace put on display for us. Some of you know that I have the privilege of serving on the advisory council of Baptist Mid-Missions. Now, Baptist Mid-Missions is an organization that comes alongside local churches to facilitate missions work in 60-plus nations around the world. Ten days ago, I was in Cleveland, Ohio for our biannual council meeting, and the president of the mission told a story that has stuck with me. Because 60 years ago, a missionary entered a small, remote village in northern India where the people were animists. They were spirit worshipers. And the first few years that missionary was there preaching Jesus, no one believed on Jesus. But that missionary wouldn't quit. He wouldn't come home. He kept on loving the people like Jesus while introducing the people to Jesus. Just one missionary, one small remote village, praying for just one convert. Just a few months ago, the president of Baptist Mid-Missions was in that very same village, preaching the very same Jesus that first missionary did nearly 60 years ago. And this time, there were more than 700 followers of Jesus packed into a little church. 700 believers. Jesus changes everything. And that's the big idea of this text in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. When Jesus pursues you with His grace and saves you by His grace, everything changes because of that grace. Salvation isn't about you adding Jesus to your life. It's about Jesus transforming your life from the inside out. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is come. You're instantly new. You're totally new. You're eternally new because Jesus changes anything. Is that true for you? Is that your story? If it is, then Luke 19 and this story is a call for you to live out that brand new life in a real way, a radical way, like how you respond when you've wronged someone 
and how far you're willing to go to make things right, even when it's costly to you. And then if you aren't a follower of Jesus, let me just say, we are so glad that you are here this morning because you too fit into this story. As this scene opens, we're introduced to a man who does not know Jesus and does not believe on Jesus. Although he's intrigued by Jesus as Jesus is passing through his hometown of Jericho. And that's significant. Because Jesus is passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem to die at Passover. The cross is just a week away now for Jesus. And so what we talked about last week right here in this room during this time, that as Jesus is leaving Jericho, he gives new eyes to a blind man named Bartimaeus. But this is where skeptics say that the Bible contains errors. They say there is a discrepancy here. And so it, isn't, it can't be inspired by God because Mark and Luke get all mixed up when they talk about the timing of the events of Jesus and Bartimaeus and then Jesus and Zacchaeus in Jericho. So can I take a moment to explain this? Please say yes because I worked hard on this this week. Okay. Yeah, all right. So there seems to be a discrepancy here. Because if you look at Luke 18, verse 35, just a few verses above where we have read this morning, Luke tells us that Jesus is approaching Jericho when he encounters Bartimaeus. But if you remember back to last week in Mark chapter 10, Mark says that Jesus is leaving Jericho when he heals Bartimaeus. So what's up? Is there a discrepancy in the Bible? Is the Bible trustworthy or is it not trustworthy? Are Mark and Luke mixed up, guys? Well, you need to know this. That in Jesus' day, there are actually not one, but two Jerichos. There's the Jericho of the Old Testament, you know, where Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls Okay, come on, let's try that again, all right? Where Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. That's old Jericho. And it's mostly lying in ruins during Jesus' day. And by now there's a second Jericho. There's a new Jericho that's been built by Herod the Great. And it has served as his winter vacation home in southern Israel at the northern end of the Dead Sea there. And it's just one or two miles south of the old Jericho. So think of it like this. Old Jericho is like an old west ghost town. It's the slums. It's the other side of the tracks. While the new Jericho is probably the wealthiest city in Israel. It's the Silicon Valley of Israel. And as Jesus is traveling south with this growing band of Passover pilgrims, he meets Bartimaeus who's camped out between the two Jerichos. That's why Mark says that Jesus heals Bartimaeus as he leaves Jericho. That's the old run-down Jericho. While Luke says that Jesus heals him as he draws near to Jericho, the swanky, ritzy new Jericho, which is also home to a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. And if we are going to 
To fully grasp the radical difference Jesus makes in the life of Zacchaeus, we've got to take some time to get to know some important information about him. Like the fact that Zacchaeus doesn't have many Facebook friends or Instagram followers. He isn't going to win the coolest little man in town contest. And that's because of his profession. He's a tax collector. But notice here that he isn't just your normal everyday tax collector. He's the Archetalanus, which is Greek for the chief of tax collectors. So he's the top tax collector in this region, and he wants to see Jesus. Now, the text doesn't tell us why he wants to see Jesus. Is it that his conscience is troubling him? Is it just plain old curiosity that's getting the best of him? Or is it that he considers Jesus a kind of celebrity? And as one of the most powerful men in Jericho, he probably should meet this Jesus. We don't know what the reason is. But we do know that all of this goes down, remember, a month or two after Jesus has raised a man named Lazarus from the dead, after Lazarus has been dead for four days. And so Jesus is front page news in Israel. He is a kind of celebrity there, and perhaps Zacchaeus wants to catch just a glimpse of the famous man who's walking through town, but on account of the crowd that's surrounding Jesus, Zacchaeus can't see Jesus. Why? Because he is small of stature, which is Greek for he's a wee little man. Now, some of you are giggling because you get that. How many of you grew up singing Zacchaeus was a wee little man in Sunday school? All right. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. It was actually, that song was a billboard top 10 Sunday school hit in the 70s and 80s. If you don't know it, that's okay. You can Google it. It's all about Zacchaeus being vertically challenged and running ahead of the crowd here and climbing up in a sycamore tree. But have you ever thought about and wondered why Zacchaeus climbs up the sycamore tree? Because in Jewish culture, it is scandalous for a man of his position to run. And it is scandalous for a man of his position to climb a tree. So why does he run ahead of the crowd and climb this sycamore tree? And you're like, Pastor Ken, well, this is obvious, right? I mean, it doesn't take Columbo to figure this out. He climbs the sycamore tree because of what the old song says, for the Lord he wanted to see. But here's the thing. If somebody is short... You don't mind if they're sitting in front of you at the Cubs game. You can see right over them. That's one of the reasons I'm always asked to stand in the back row during a family photo. But this crowd won't let Zacchaeus in to see Jesus, even though he doesn't affect their ability to see Jesus, because he's a tax collector. And if you think IRS agents aren't well-liked in America today, and by the way, I say that as the son-in-law of a former IRS agent, the Jews in Jesus' day utterly despised tax collectors. 
especially the chief of tax collectors, because he's a Jewish man collecting taxes from fellow Jews on behalf of Rome. And the Jews consider that treason. Because the Romans aren't just occupying Israel, or oppressing Israel, they're, they're occupying Israel. And then the Romans have the audacity to turn around and tax you for the privilege of being an occupied territory. So Zacchaeus is labeled a traitor. He's banned from the local synagogue. He's considered religiously unclean. He can't even testify in a Jewish court of law. No self-respecting Jew would ever enter into his home as a guest or invite him to their home as a guest ever. Because he isn't just a traitor. He's an embezzler, an extortioner, a swindler. Because the Romans don't charge the Jews a simple flat tax. Instead, they tell tax collectors, this is how much you're required to collect, and anything you get beyond and above that, you get to keep. And when Zacchaeus collects the taxes, probably up to 50% goes into his own pockets, even if that's coming from his neighbors or his friends or his old elementary school teachers, even his grandma. And then... Rome gives Zacchaeus a squad of soldiers so the force is with him. Think about that one, all right? So, and if the people refuse to comply, soldiers have permission to beat those people into submission or to execute them. And because he's the chief tax collector, he gets a cut of every dollar his minions collect. It isn't just a Ponzi scheme, it's government-sanctioned, organized crime. And because Jericho is probably the wealthiest city in Israel, Zacchaeus may indeed be the richest man in Israel, which makes him public enemy number one. And so when he's trying to press through the crowd to see Jesus, nobody lets him in. Nobody budges. Zacchaeus has no reason to be near Jesus or to see Jesus because if anyone's beyond the reach of Jesus and his grace, it's him. And we need to hear that because maybe you think you are beyond the grace of Jesus. Or maybe you think someone you know is beyond the grace of Jesus. Maybe you know a Zacchaeus, someone who would get your vote for least likely to ever come to Jesus. And you find yourself applying a little bit of Disney theology to that person. How many of you have seen the film Frozen? How many of you remember the song Fixer Upper? He's a bit of a fixer-upper. Remember that? There is a little line in there that gives us some Disney theology. It goes like this. We're not saying you can change him because people don't really change. Obviously, Frozen needs to meet Jesus. Maybe you've never met Jesus. 
Because you see a reflection of Zacchaeus when you look in the mirror. Maybe you've hurt those closest to you. Maybe you've betrayed a spouse or cut off your relationship with your mom and dad. Maybe you've been ticking off your coworkers or your neighbors. You're curious about Jesus. But you find yourself thinking there is no way the grace of Jesus could ever reach me. Other people, maybe. But I've gone too far. I've done too much for way too long. Zacchaeus is here to show you that's not true. Because when Jericho's most hated man is hiding in the branches of a sycamore tree, Jesus stops right at his tree. And then Jesus blows his cover. Zacchaeus. And I think probably a hush instantly falls over the crowd and they're like, finally, finally somebody's going to call this guy out and shut this guy down and tell this guy off. It's about time somebody stood up to this thief. But Jesus is not stopping at Zacchaeus' tree to bring the hammer down on him. Jesus is stopping at Zacchaeus' tree. To bring grace to him. Because even though they've never met, notice, Jesus knows Zacchaeus' name. Ever thought about that? Ever thought that he knows your name and my name too? Ever thought about we, we can't hide from Jesus like Zacchaeus can't hide from Jesus? We can't be anonymous with Jesus. Before we know Him, He knows us. And He knows everything about us. Even right here in this scene when He says, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry up. Come down. We're going home to your house. I'm going to stay with you today. And I can just picture the crowd saying, whoa, 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 wait, Jesus, rewind here. Let's try this over again. Do, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're saying? Do you know who he is? He's a tax collector. He's a cheat. He's a thief. He's jacked up, Jesus. And you're inviting yourself over to his home to hang out with him And I can just imagine the people giving Jesus the side eye because what Jesus has just said and done is offensive to them. It's scandalous to them. Every Jew would have picked up on that because in those days, to go to someone's house and share a meal with them meant that you were publicly declaring your love for them by openly accepting them. But Jesus knows that. Jesus knows all of that. And he knows everything about Zacchaeus when he says that. He knows where Zacchaeus has been. He knows what Zacchaeus has done. And he knows whom Zacchaeus will be when grace gets a hold of him. And that's why Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. I can picture the scene. 
As soon as Zacchaeus shimmies down that sycamore tree trunk and his feet hit the ground, I can just imagine Jesus putting his arm around Zacchaeus and saying, Zacchaeus, don't let the stares bother you. Don't let the whispers bother you. I'm here for you and with you. And I will walk alongside of you all the way home. You know how Jesus can do that? Because he will climb up a tree and take the scorn and take the shame and take the sin and take the stares and take the whispers for Zacchaeus. The only reason Zacchaeus can come down off that tree is because Jesus will climb up a tree and then he will walk home with us as by his grace he has saved us. And that's what he does with Zacchaeus here. And I think probably as soon as Jesus puts his arm around Zacchaeus and begins to walk towards Zacchaeus' home, people are like, I'm not going. I'm not going anywhere near Zacchaeus or his house. Maybe even some of the disciples kind of fade into the background here. And everybody's watching now from a distance. As Jesus enters that front door with Zacchaeus, And that's when the townspeople roll their eyes and they say, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Jesus invites himself into the home of the worst sinner and the biggest loser. Now, our our children weren't very old when we taught them that they were never to do what Jesus just did. They were never to invite themselves over to someone else's house. Any parents, you teach your children that? Isn't it it funny how children come pre-programmed with that desire to invite themselves over to someone's house? And so you spend a lot of time teaching them. You don't do that. It's imposing. You're presuming upon others. But Jesus does that because he's not being insensitive or intrusive. He's being redemptive. And if you're a believer in Jesus, then that's what Jesus has done with you. He has come to you. He has stopped by your tree. He's called you out by name. And he said, I want a relationship with you. I'm making myself at home with you today. And maybe you're like, but Pastor Ken, that's not how it went down with me. I became a Christian by coming to Jesus. Yes, just like Zacchaeus here. When he climbs down out of his tree, he comes to Jesus. Notice the text says, he comes to Jesus, he receives Jesus joyfully because Jesus came to him. Because Jesus called out his name. Because Jesus initiated that relationship with him. And the same is true for each of us. Jesus is always the initiator in this relationship. That's why Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says that he's the author of and finisher of our faith. He's the beginning and the end of our faith. That's why salvation is always and all of grace. That's why Jesus, that's why when Jesus moves into your life, everything changes. Now, now for some of us, 
we professed faith in Jesus as a young child. And so our story is going to be a bit different than Zacchaeus' story. Um, we weren't cheating people and stealing from people. We weren't sleeping around. We weren't addicted to alcohol or drugs. Jesus didn't save us out of those things. Instead, Jesus saved us from those things. So while the details of Zacchaeus' conversion may be different than ours, the effects will be the same as ours. Because the same grace that saves you changes you and transforms you. And the order there is important. Grace first, then change, then transformation, then new life. Jesus doesn't say to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, turn over a new leaf, and then you can begin a new life. Clean yourself up. Give back what you've taken. Make things right. And then I'll come to your house and love you and accept you. No, doing right doesn't make us right before God or earn us favor with God. Only grace does. And we know that grace has changed Zacchaeus because without any prompting from Jesus, Zacchaeus stands up from the dinner table and says, Behold, Lord. I love that. I love that for two reasons. First, that word behold could also be translated look. It's like Zacchaeus is a kid all over again. It's like when our children are learning to ride their bike down the sidewalk with no hands. Remember that? And they say, Mom and Dad, Mom and Dad, you, can't, you won't believe what I can do now. I can, I can ride my bike down the sidewalk with no hands. Hey, Mom, Dad, look, no hands. And it's like Zacchaeus is saying, Jesus, look. You're my Lord. I love that. Just a few moments ago or a few hours ago, Jesus was nothing more to Zacchaeus than a celebrity walking through town. And now Jesus is in his home at his table because Jesus is his Lord and his friend. And that's why Zacchaeus says, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. Now, Jewish Old Testament Levitical law required that if you took something from someone, that you pay it back plus 20%. Not Zacchaeus. It's not law that is requiring this of him. It's not law that is motivating him. It's Jesus. It's grace. And so he will go above and beyond and he will give back 400%. I mean, just imagine what that must have been like if Zacchaeus had taken something from you. Let's just say that you drive a Chevy Malibu. And so one day you come home and you run into the house and you say, Hey, honey, you won't believe this. Do you remember Zacchaeus stealing our Chevy Malibu? Yeah, it's crazy. He just parked a brand new Mercedes in our driveway and signed the title to us. Sorry if you drive a Chevy Malibu. But notice here that Zacchaeus won't do that with just one person. He will do that with everyone. He's wronged. 
Only grace can do that. And that's why Jesus responds, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your house. You are a son of Abraham, not just by blood, but by faith. I've come to seek and save people just like you. That's why I've targeted you, targeted you with my grace once you were lost, but now you are found. It's no accident that I stopped at your tree so that you would come to me. If you aren't a believer in Jesus, it's no accident that you're here this morning. It's Jesus stopping at your tree targeting you with grace, calling out your name. The question is, will you come down from your tree? Will you find the love and grace in Jesus that will change everything about you? You know what that takes? It doesn't just take a walk home with Zacchaeus. It takes Jesus going to the cross for Zacchaeus. It takes Jesus trading places with Zacchaeus. It takes Jesus taking on the cross the penalty for his sin so that Zacchaeus can have the forgiveness of sin. Jesus takes the pain of death so that Zacchaeus can have the joy of life. It's Isaiah 53, verse 6, where we read this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Jesus pays with his life to bring Zacchaeus down from that tree. To enable Zacchaeus to come to him in faith and to be saved from his sins, and to be given a brand new life forever. It costs Jesus everything to make Zacchaeus a new man. The same is true for us. That's why Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, I'm always quoting these to you. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is of grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest any of us should boast. So will you? Will you come to the one who's targeted you with his grace? Who's not only come to your tree, but has climbed up? your tree to die right now will you trust him because when you do there are two takeaways here from this text for you first see the massive power of Jesus grace don't underestimate that power don't underestimate the power of Jesus grace His grace is big enough and strong enough to transform the worst of sinners into the holiest of saints. So where are you questioning that this morning? The power of Jesus' grace. Is it to change you? Is it to transform you? Or is it someone near to you or close to you, someone you know? School teachers. Who's that student in your class? You're like, I'm not sure God could ever save him. Who's that coworker 
Who's that friend? Who's that extended family member that everyone else has given up on? Don't. Don't. Don't go there. Zacchaeus would certainly fit that bill because as Jesus has just said, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of God. But here we see God threading that needle with grace and bringing the baddest, biggest, small man in town straight through the eye of that needle. So don't quit praying for that son or daughter who's walked away from Jesus or that parent who doesn't want to hear anything about Jesus. Don't give up on that friend whose heart seems so hardened against Jesus. Be a friend to sinners, always ready to lead them to the friend of sinners. And one of the ways you can do that is by letting them see the radical effects of Jesus' grace at work in you. That's the second takeaway this morning. See the radical effects of Jesus' grace at work in you. Because when you experience the fullness of grace, you become a person full of grace like Zacchaeus. Let me ask, is that true for you? Does grace characterize you? Transforming, changing, new person kind of grace. Are you different? Are there wrongs this morning that you need to make right? Maybe it's something you've said about your spouse or done to your spouse. Young people, teenagers, maybe it's something you've said to your parents. You know, maybe you've never stolen someone's stuff, but you've stolen their reputation by slandering them or gossiping about them. Or maybe you're holding a grudge against someone without forgiving them. They need to pay for what they've done. Maybe you're more like the crowd than you are like Zacchaeus. What wrong is God putting his finger upon this morning that you need to make right? Grace doesn't just call you to do that. Grace empowers you to do that. Because when the love of God does a work in you, it does a work through you. That's Zacchaeus. These are the final words in the Bible that we read about Zacchaeus. He's going to do the right thing because it's the loving thing, even when it's the hard thing. He's no longer using people or abusing people. Instead, he's loving people. It's what Jesus says on the night he's betrayed and arrested. In John 13, verse 35, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. Do people see that and sense that when they walk into this room in this place? Do they sense that and see that when they walk into your home as your guest? The only way you can be loving like Jesus and to do the love of Jesus is that Jesus changes everything by changing you.
That's why Jesus says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, that my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So be who you are in Jesus. It's always by his grace and for his glory that Jesus changes everything. Amen. Father, may you take your word, may you use it to transform us, change us, make us who you would have us to be, always by your grace and for your glory. So can I ask you right now, are you a follower of Jesus? If not, would you become a follower of Jesus this morning? Right where you are, you can cry out in faith, pleading the blood of Jesus as the substitute and the sacrifice for your sins. Will you trust him? Will you come to him? As he's stopping by your tree right now and calling out your name. Would you believe on Jesus? And if you are a Christian, you're living out that new life, that changed life, that transformed life. What is it that God has put his finger on this morning saying, what you've done and what you're doing is wrong and you need to make that right? Would you? His grace is enough to empower you. In Jesus' name, amen.